Hi, this is Max Revo-Nadler, and you're listening to the Full Stop Podcast. As always, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making this possible and getting the perk of getting this episode a bit earlier than our other listeners. Full Stop relies on your support to flourish and grow. We're a lean operation, and all of the money we bring in goes directly to writers and artists. In times like these, while so many worthy causes deserve support, we appreciate the small stuff. Thank you so much. Our website continues to be updated multiple times a week with reviews, essays, and interviews, so please check it out. One particular piece I enjoyed on the site this month was Mary Papalardo's review of Picture Cycle by Masha Tupitsin. To Papalardo, the book, itself a criticism of criticism, asks, Why else do we look at each other, at things, at screens, if not because we believe there is something to see there, something worth seeing? The piece invigorates us during a time when we're spending a lot of our time looking at screens. So continue your online reading, dear listener. This month on the podcast, we're featuring a conversation between Tristan Foster and Kyle Coma Thompson. Their new book, 926 Years, is a series of 22-linked stories ruminating on imagination and God and life, co-written by two authors who have never met in person. It goes deep. It goes there. So we'll just let them take it from here. Chaplain Blake, age 60. The Great Man, age 71. Rosalise, age 31. Shelley Valentine, age 34. Babukar, age 27. Mrs. Anderson, age 67. Jens, age 54. Larry Hovis, age 47. Sebastian, age 30. Minda, age 35. Yujun, age 26. Annika's girl, age 33. Franklin O, oh, age 38. Lou Wade Wiley, age 55. Caleb, age 36. GWW, age 54. Malik, age 25. Tanya Griggs, age 28. Greyhound Slim, age 29. Ronnie, age 57. Marty Fantastic, age 81. Alexander, age 8. Hi, Tristan. Hey, Kyle. So uh, we're here to talk about this book that we wrote together in 926 years. This also happens to be our first conversation. It is, it is. And we've been talking back and forth for what, three and a half years? Pretty close, pretty close to that. I was trying to figure out that earlier today, just backtracking to when we first spoke on the back of um, your short story um, that I read in the White Review. So that must have been when? August 2016? Yeah, it was uh, issue number 17, July 2016 edition of White Review. And Basically, since then, uh, we've corresponded pretty consistently. Right, right. So I, I don't think I had told you this. I, I think you had tweeted something about the story. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and I'm not on Twitter, um, but my wife is. And I, I was downstairs making breakfast before work, and uh, she was upstairs, and she yelled downstairs, Hey, <laughs> somebody just wrote something about this story of yours. Um, 
So I had, I had, I think I had emailed you. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. And I've actually got the tweet here. So I wrote in the tweet on 17th of August, 2016, Spider and Malice by Kyle Comer Thompson is, in the White Review is weird and disorientating and so, so good. Yeah, that was, um, that was good to hear because I think that is, you know, un- until I had heard from you on that story, I still wasn't sure what, how it would hit people. So, um, I figured I'm, I should probably email you. <laughs> no, that, that was cool. And, and I liked the story a lot. Um, I still think of it fondly and still wish I'd, I'd written it. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's such a, that story is really strange for me because it's filled with things that people told me, um, just in conversation and it sort of blended together, um, pretty spontaneously. Um, there's a bit in there about during the Bosnian conflict, the Serbs flying American Confederate flag. That was told to me by my friend Fedja Burich, who's a history professor. He had sort of mentioned that offhand. And uh, my, there's, a, I think, a story in there as well about counterinsurgency tactics that the U.S. soldiers used in Iraq against um, insurgents where I, I guess they had been welding mortars to the bottoms of, of manhole covers and flipping them over and using them. And so the, the counterinsurgency uh, teams put uh, sort of just booby trap those. That, that was told to my father by a Marine that had come back to Henderson, Kentucky, a small town. Right. So that, I, mean, I had never heard that kind of thing. It's filled with little details like that. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it was kind of nice that somebody across the planet would connect to it too because it's <laughs> captured, you know, it's the spirit of the story is sort of random connections. Yeah. So. Um, did you have any other reactions to that particular story? I have, I, I, I'm trying to think none that I can, you know, think off the top of my head. So nothing too prominent. You mm. know? No, it was, it was uh, a nice little find for me. I, I really like the white review. The white review itself is really stylish, really well designed. They, they care about, you know, even font, <laughs> um, they care about the content that they publish and, and it's the sort of stuff that I really connect with. But that piece in particular really stuck out for me, hence my, my tweet, um, tweeting out my reaction to that. And, you know, I mean, even us connecting that way is sort of, I think we maybe with not fully conscious of it, but we were using that distance between us to sort of uh, collaborate and write this this new book, right? Because that's basically presiding theme or the logic of the of the stories and how they work together, right? Yeah, exactly. Just mapping the mapping out those connections that's you know span mm-hmm. the globe. So I'm not sure if you'd like me to read. You'd you'd, you'd said you'd mentioned to me earlier you'd like me to read a, a section of Spite and Malice. I'd love you to read some Spite and Malice for sure. Sure, sure. Okay, so you had actually. I guess we should mention that you had actually. I guess you had written a review of the book itself too i had uh the book that the story is from is titled night in the sun and it came out in the summer of 2016 and you'd written a review i will in that re- in that review you had quoted a passage so that's the passage i'm going to read okay great, so great hear what it sounds like in great. my voice yeah small rooms or dwellings discipline the mind large ones weaken it wrote Da Vinci in a handbook on the art of painting. 
An unfertilized human egg, though tiny, is still observable without aid of microscopes. A single sperm, however, or a fleet of them, are not, whether traveling or not, disguised as semen. At the monastery in Simonos Petras, monks' bones are washed in red wine before being placed together in an ossuary. A stack of skulls as tall as a very short man. In Indonesia, there grows a gargantuan sensual flower, a Morphophallus titanium, which stands at six feet or taller and emits a perfume of rotting flesh, the scent of which attracts beetles. Approximate measurements would relate. One pile of monk's bones equals more than half the weight of one horrifically sexed flower. Latin for room is locus, for penis, phallus. Anima is the word for soul. You had written a review of the book, and uh, there was a period of time where we didn't talk. Um, but <laughs> when, yeah. uh, when did we start emailing back and forth a little more. So I, if memory serves me correctly, you basically sent me a copy of your book on the back of the tweet. And I actually read the book while on holiday in Queensland. I was away for my birthday. And I remember distinctly drafting up the review of um, Night in the Sun at a cafe uh, while wild, wild bush turkeys wandered by. And eventually the review was actually placed at full stop. So again, it's a nice connection here to be doing the podcast for full stop, which is where, in a way, our connection began. And so I submitted the review and Jesse, the reviews editor, told me that it would be scheduled to be published in December. And I said, okay, <laughs> that's fine. But some of the things that I say in the review will be more or less redundant by that point in time because it was clear to me that you were, you were, you were writing about what I guess can be called or described as Middle America. And you were writing often in a formally experimental way about the plight of people in middle America, um, their lives, their thoughts, their dramas. And that, that was super attractive to me. This is, this is the, exactly the sort of writing that I try to write myself and also like to read. And it was clear upon reading your book that if you were, if you were right, if you were, you know, these stories were, um, I don't want to say true, but if there was something to these stories, then Trump would be elected. And so it was important for me that the review was published before Trump was elected. Because uh, I think I, I said something along those lines in the review. And you did. Yeah. And, and he ended up getting elected. So mm. I, that was published and I can't remember when our connection really kicked back off again. I think we just emailed back and forth over the, over the years, I guess, um, the, the coming year anyway, the following year. And it was after a little while, I think, that I wrote um, an article called Impossible Friends for Mianjin, which is a publication here in Melbourne. 
in that essay, I basically spoke about one of the one of the, the the rewards of being a writer in the 21st century is the connections that we make, the friends that we make, um, and and that these are the things that we need to really seek out. Number one, and also value when we find it. And you were one of the writers that I wrote about in Impossible Friends. I think we also spoke a fair bit when my debut book was coming out, my short story collection, Letter to the Author of the Letter to the Father. And I think I sent you a very early version of my manuscript. And I think then as well, I sort of realized um, <laughs> how, how valuable the connection I had made with you was when it was pretty clear to me that without saying so much, you, you basically implied that I had more work to do, which was great and very useful for me. So the, the other thing that you, you mentioned was to think about what's next. Um, mm -hmm. Think about, okay, the, you know, this is all well and good. This is coming, this is happening, but what's next? And I think that's the, that's the mark of an artist, you know, to, be, to, to have that in mind, to always be thinking about the next thing, um, to, to maintain that, that drive and that hunger and always be pushing forward. And, and that was very, very useful for me at, at that particular time as well. Well, I guess the, the way I can I can realize why I said that now is because I sort of feel that way whenever I, I finish stories or a book or a manuscript. It's um, that material or that way of working is is just it's awful. And it's not by any kind of conscious, you know, purposeful decision. It's just um, it's almost at a gut level. It's stale. And so it's it's done with. Right. So, and that serves a purpose because it gives you traction. I, I sort of use that to push off from, right. right, at that time or not. I remember you mentioning that as well when I sent you the the review um, of Night mm. in the Sun, saying that mm. it it had sort of closed that 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 period or that that subject or that way of working off for you, which which was which was great, which was really nice as well. Yeah, it's definitely true. I, you know, I, I had written two books of stories, one other besides Night in the Sun, and those two are really, a, they're a pair. They were written in relationship to each other. Uh, so it was like I was leaving behind um, a whole other way of working. So, yeah, I, that was just me thinking aloud and, you know, maybe... <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have written that to you before your book had even come out. Um, <laughs> no, no, it was, it it was like useful. It, you had a, a, a period where you were not sure where, w what direction you should go in. So maybe I'm, <laughs> maybe I put you in that in that spot. <laughs> if I did. So I guess e even if you did, you did help pull me out as well. And and that being the collaborative work that we did. Uh, almost, almost directly after my short story collection was published, because I think we were emailing back and forth a little more regularly by that point, and I articulated to you that I was in a bit of a creative rut. The writing, just creating, is pretty critical for me, and just just keeps me on the level, just keeps me balanced out. Um, I've spoken about it a little bit before elsewhere as well, but uh, the writing. Is, is important for me to just be functioning properly. Mm. And I was really struggling to, ideas-wise, creativity-wise, just to get words on the, on the page. And mm. we started collaborating when you suggested that we write some, some poetry together. 
I think it that was prompted too because I think you had mentioned to me offhandedly you'd pu- published a poem or something, and you yeah I think so yeah that's right same time you told me that you'd said but I I don't I'm not a poet I don't write poems and I was like all right <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm going to sort of test that yeah so you I saw think it as a challenge it, you know yeah I mean it, it just that comment there made me get gave me the impression you were overthinking things for me it's um, you know. I, I, if I'm not writing, actively writing a short story or a piece of fiction, then, you know, there's other things to do. There's note taking. I have several notebooks where I sort of de- use to develop ideas. And so if I'm not actively drafting something, then I can go and work on a notes building. Mm. But, you know, I also, I don't understand sort of the hyper specialization of working in one medium. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think maybe there's the fear of, of being exposed as an amateur, but that's just something I, I, I get a lot of energy from being an amateur at other <laughs> art forms. So yeah. I, I uh, you know, I draw a lot and it's usually that is when I'm, I'm not feeling like writing. Yeah. I, I usually can feel like drawing and, you know, and it's not just short stories. You know, I write poems pretty frequently as well. I mean, I had started out writing poetry and and essays too i mean i know that you you work in you work with essays as well but mm. i mean so there's always various drafts of essays as well so you know i i i thought i sensed that you were limiting yourself yeah or yeah. or thinking that something had to be you know to work in a medium you had to be accomplished and yeah. i'm i'm more about having giving yourself the space to just have free play yeah and to just make something even if it's doesn't come together very well you can just toss it you know writing stuff quickly and tossing it uh and, you know my my wife and i we you know we'll we go and have drinks at a bar near our house at least once a week and when we go there we will write haiku together or do drawings together it's sort of like a and i do this with other friends as well we'll write stuff together when we're together socially so it's in a weird way this is like an extension of that <laughs> yeah I mean, my wife was my wife definitely got a sense of that you know she's like oh you're just basically doing with tristan what we do because uh, <laughs> when we get together we write these things called maku uh human haiku where we'll we'll invent characters and 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 create their lives in three lines it was sort of an extended version of that that's so that's i mean cool. i got I got that sense that you were limiting yourself. So I just thought, well, I'm going to start throwing lines at uh, Tristan, see if, how quickly you can respond. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I think you've nailed it. Basically it, it was very much about breaking down that barrier. Um, that was just a psychological one. And then pretty quickly afterwards, the, the poetry just flowed. And I think, you know, working, working with you, we basically dashed off, either a line, like literally a, a line, uh, an idea even, uh, sometimes a, f- a few lines, sometimes a stanza, sometimes entire poems, um, and just emailed them through to each other on a daily basis. And that was a nice thing. That, it was a really nice thing to wake up to, like a new idea, something that, that pushed me and gave me energy and gave me something to think about. It was, it was exactly what, what I, I need from writing and it's what I needed at that particular time in particular. And I think the, the thing that aligned 
with us working collaboratively and, and you know, ha having, personally speaking, the creative juices flowing again uh, was uh, Joshua Roth's uh, started up Sublunary Editions and he was starting to try to get a sense of who might be interested in submitting something for, for uh, publication either um, in their monthly mail outs or as a chat book and I think I suggested to you before I suggested to him that we publish some of the poems. What I liked about you saying no to that <laughs> is that it was, and rightly so I think, it was playtime for us. It was, it was just fun. It was, right. it was just us pushing, it, pushing each other, giving each other some, some writing in private, but not really more than that, not for public consumption. And even though, you know, looking, you know, I am quite proud of the work that we did back then. And even if looking back now, it doesn't really, it's, it's not the greatest thing that you and I have ever put to paper. It's, it's, it, it served a purpose and, and I think leaving it there was, was actually really wise. And when I put the idea to you and, and you said no about publishing the poems, you actually suggested writing something brand new which made me just as happy, actually, because it meant that you and I could keep writing together. Right. Well, you know, I mean, I, if you don't mind me, I just want to put, add a little something to that. What's, sure. What was kind of interesting to that, writing back and forth. I, I also, first, I should say, we started doing that a year ago, mm. right? Mm. Just a little bit, like in December, a mm. year ago. And uh, what was interesting about that is, is that, you know, while you were sleeping, I was usually writing a line, often at work. <laughs> send it your way. And then, you know, when I was sleeping, you were having to respond. So there was a sort of rhythm yeah. of, of the day, yeah. right? Yeah. One half of the day, I would get the other. That's sort of, you know, I mean, that's the rhythm that we've sort of been working with uh, when we decided to write stories as well. Yeah, and as far as like the not wanting to go forward with those poems, it was just, my, my feeling is usually, you know, not every, not every, time you write is a reason to work towards mm. publishing, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go, I, I write, I don't know about you, but for me, I have, it's just staying on the wavelength and being creative and making things and being in the habit of making things. And then the publishing stuff is just about selecting and choosing what you think would work well together sure. long after the fact. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're like a curator yourself, you know? Yeah, for or sure. Or not even yourself. It's that wherever this other, wherever this stuff comes from, you know, it's not, for me, it's not self-expression, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's about sort of articulating that sense of otherness in yourself where ideas and stories come from. Yeah. So, so when I said no, it was more like, well, you know, we've had this period of, of getting in the rhythm together, so why not write stories instead? Yeah, and, and I guess as it turned out, that poetry writing ended up being practice, you know, for the for the real thing. Yeah, I just think I needed, you, you You felt, it sounded like you were sort of froze up and overthinking things. So just having that period of just, you know, getting you to not having to write towards a goal, mm. just doing it just to do it, that sort of re, I think it would definitely re-energize you. So when you mentioned, you know, you had somebody that was interested in, in doing a book and you'd like to make it sort of um, build off of what we've been doing and make a collaborative book, I thought, well, you know, we're both 
story writers primarily, right? So yeah. why not try that? Plus, there's like we we knew what it was like to write poems together, but you know we didn't had no idea what it was like to write stories together. So there's that sort of awkwardness, awkward energy that comes from doing something the first time yeah. that you can't really repeat. <laughs> so you capture that energy, you yeah. know, and and hopefully it it has a coherence to it. And I think it, I, I have to say, I think it does. Yeah. So, so then jo- we we sort of got Joshua involved, <laughs> and uh, I think he was super supportive of what we were what we were looking to do and i think the only thing that he really gave us was a page count if memory serves me correctly that's that's right and we went over it (laughs) yeah yeah i I think significantly actually and but essentially we we set the ground rules um worked with an idea which was more or less left behind or maybe half left behind because that that idea of of connection uh, is still very very strong in the work, and we we I think we got into a pretty good rhythm rhythm of almost writing an entire section almost every day. I think again, you know, while you were sleeping, I wrote shot it, shot it through. Right. While I was sleeping, you were, you shot one back. Right. Um, you know, and I thought you know I think initially I had sort of just thrown out an idea usually for me ideas are just starting points mm. and the whole point is if it's if it's a good idea it's one you're going to leave behind yeah. when you start writing so we still the, the basic approach was that we we're making use of what's at hand which is this enormous physical distance between us right yeah and also i mean i you know and just how many billions of lives i mean how many billion people are in those spaces between us right yeah. so i think that it'd end up you know and it's also extensive i mean i have no idea what what tristan foster does throughout his day i have little bits and pieces of details that you, you've <laughs> told me in emails but you know i mean it's also us writing about this idea of us writing portraits of 22 individuals who are probable lives that exists between our physical, you know, our, our physical locations on the planet, either in England, Senegal, South Korea. That's just our articulation of our relationship and how we are to each other too, yeah. right? Because yeah. there's a mostly gaps in my knowledge of what your life is like. You know, who who you are. I, I know you only in in this one context. Uh, our mutual interests in in literature. So. I, if it I, if it works at all, I, I think it works to sort of capture that. For sure, you know? for sure. No, I think I think we 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 nailed it. <laughs> at least you know, speaking selfishly and personally, it certainly achieved the goals that I personally set out for this little project. And and one of those 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 key pieces for me was to write something that was among my best work. The, the writing that I'm most proud of. And mm. I think working with you, we pushed each other, we challenged each other. Um, that's certainly how I felt on my side. And the result is, for me, among my best work, for sure. And that, that's, that's very gratifying. Um, but mm. on top of that, just working with you in this particular way, it's, it's, it's strange. Um, it's strange for me anyway, um, for something to have materialized in this way and, and 
it's it's going to be out there in the world for others to read. It's 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 weird and it's also magic, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm super proud of what we've done. I am too. I am too. I had had the the thought the other day, you know, that this doesn't just have to be one chapbook written by us. I imagined a whole series of of that Josh could have going where he (laughs) he pairs up writers who have never met across the globe and they imagine a handful of lives between them. Yeah, for sure. There'd be no end to that. Really. It'd be really interesting project. But I also thought, you know, just in, and and I don't even, maybe I've, I've, I've described this a little bit, but it's, it felt like it was an expression of my daily life right now because, right. you know, I, uh, I know, you know, I work in community mental health now in an outpatient program. Mm. So which means my day has the structure of the book that we wrote, right. really. <laughs> um, I, I drive, I crisscross across Louisville, Kentucky for five days a week and people welcome me into their home or I visit people at schools. Um, but it's, I, I have hour and a half visitations, hour, hour and a half, where I meet these individuals that don't know each other in this city, but I'm the point of connection for them, you know? Right. And it's about them. It's not really a focus on me. The whole, my whole purpose of working with them is to be attending to their needs. So it felt, you know, I I had had that thought this week and I don't know, that matters to me. Sure. You know? Yeah. I can, I can see you being the medium um, certainly matches what we've done here. Yeah. So, um, I was wondering maybe if this would be a good time for us to maybe read from the book. It's all right. Well, you know, maybe we should take a moment to just pause and describe the structure of it before we read from it. Would you like to maybe give a description of it? Sure. So we tell the story of 22 individuals, each from a certain place, at a certain age, at a certain point or moment in their lives. There's no, there's no explicit connection between them all. They're all in the middle of, of living, I guess. That's how I see it. And we've just plucked, plucked them out of their lives and that moment and to tell their stories. And um, I guess it should go without saying, all their ages add up to 926 years. And which is far beyond any single human lifetime. But there's this epigraph that we have for the book, which is, I think that all the stories play with, they either challenge what's asserted in the epigraph or they, um, or they support it for sure. Uh, in one way or another, it's that's sort of the thread that holds it together. I won't read the epigraph. Um, we'll leave that for whoever picks up the book. But uh, maybe we should each read a section. Let's do it. Should I begin? Yeah, go ahead. Shelley Valentine, age 34. A flare of Sancho pepper on the tongue tip. Catch the tree at the right time of year and the fruit bursts, raining peppercorns down. Maybe like the season when pistachios open, the night snapping like broken locust song. Used for seasoning eel. Sancho leaves for garnishing fish. Clap it between the hands for aroma. Make a wish. The finishing touch to the perfect soup. In Korea, the unripe fruit was used for fishing. Poisonous to the smallest ones. That was cheating, wasn't it? 
or was pulling up a fish all that mattered. Zuthus swallowtail laid its perfect caviar eggs on the leaves, the larvae hatching to eat up its edges and one day bursting into a second life among its branches. Used colour vision for foraging. Population of the butterfly was kept stable by a genus of parasitic wasp. When the number of butterflies increased, the wasp multiplied to match. The life of the wasps was shorter than that of the butterflies, so their number rose until they achieved butterfly equilibrium, then died back down in pointless and eternal harmony. The pepper, one of six magical ingredients in Japanese gin, could taste its spice in a sip, especially on quiet nights like tonight. New bar, same lost, of course. Put away a few gin and tonics, taking shelter in the known. Pepper on the tongue and gin in the bloodstream, so one thing led to another, led to another. Caught the eyes of men, as usual, single drinkers sitting around the bar, thirsty in more ways than one. Preferred to think about the tiny wasp, so small it could barely fit enough neurons in its body to operate. Or the butterfly, what a world. Zebra striped but blessed with colour vision. Or the way that primates developed colour vision to distinguish ripe food or predators, or emotions in other sad or angry primates. Like thirsty men across the bar, one of them finished his drink and stood and approached her booth, patterned shirt tucked into trousers, spectacles and a dad haircut. Wedding band stashed away probably, dick basically useless. Said something to her which she either didn't understand or didn't listen to. The ancient Greeks called non-speakers of Greek varvaros, the blah blahs, became, in English, in time, barbarian. Waved away the blah blah. Finished the last drink and crunched on the ice and turned up the empty glass on the table. A sign to fight in some cultures. A sign to leave now. Walked through the night. Walked and walked. Shoes biting. Stopping, finally, in the neon light of a deserted petrol station. Marty Fantastic, age 81. The Buddhists call it the plague of identities, but only sometimes he's a Buddhist. More often he's a beautiful man. Not that he'd ever need to say so. His ladies do him the favor every Friday evening. Some carpool together from the home, get to Freddie Green's club in the basement of the Holiday Inn off New Lawn, seven sharp, and they're very best. They're very best the very same every Friday. Marty takes the seat before his white baby grand, full peacock. Eighty-one-year-old darling with ten faces, one for each lift, suited up like a Cherokee Liberace, flowing black hair and a thin, witty little nose. A framed photo of he and Elizabeth Taylor in the 70s, on the grand next to flowers and flowers. A plague of identities. Who to be tonight? Peggy Lee, Rod Stewart, Cole Porter, Journey. His ladies sit at tables, one each, take turns stuffing fives or tens in that empty glass at the edge of the stage. Behind him, etched in the mirror, his motto, love is free in everything. Oh, babies, the plague's a pandemic now. They take turns, stand to face the early boozers beyond the tables, gone as old husbands at the bar. Not to sing their hearts out, no. To sing so their hearts, years blacked out, bumbling in the wilderness, might come roaming back, prodigal as childhood.
hardly ever answer to their own names anymore, hearts, more often to Tin Pan Alley torch songs reanimated by pathos-bound human breath, or, at the very least, Linda Ronstadt. Marty's fingers stumble much the way the girls might to their rooms later, tipsy from their weekly Manhattan. The songs of their prehistory, the ballads of their youth, Marty ducking from view to suck sativa from his vape pen, then vamping so they can call their hearts back. The songs of their future, what about those? The lyrics set in stone, the melodies unknown. Even so, such tunes cling to memory like the classics. That was awesome, Carl. I'm really, uh, <laughs> I'm really glad that you read Mighty Fantastic. It's, it's probably my favorite piece of yours in the book. Well, that one's a tribute to somebody specifically in town. He's a much-loved uh, figure in Louisville. Is that right? Well, my wife and I actually tried to get him to play a piano at our wedding, <laughs> right. uh, but he had, he, a, he had a prior engagement. <laughs> okay. But he did send a, a envelope of cash to celebrate us. All but right. He's, he's um, he's a uh, he is a very sweet man and can be seen around town pretty mm. much wherever he goes. People give him a holler. It's pretty clear he's larger than life because Muddy Fantastic certainly is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's probably worth mentioning where people can actually get 926 years. Um, it's being published by Sublunary Editions on January 21 of 2020 and can be picked up from sublunaryeditions.com. Well, Tristan, thanks for uh, taking the time to talk. Thanks, Carl. It's been amazing. Thank you, mate. Thank you for listening to the Full Stop Podcast. You can support Full Stop at patreon.com backslash fullstopmag. And always find a ton of reviews, essays, and interviews at www.full-stop.net. We're so glad to have you joining us on this strange literary journey. We'll see you next time.